Alliance of Women Filmmakers, this is Visionary Voices, behind the scenes conversations with groundbreaking women and non-binary filmmakers from around the world. I'm Diana Means. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in today. We have director and actress Clara Langford talking about her film, Mr. Wong's Lullaby, which is an official selection of the Los Angeles Women's International Film Festival. In Mr. Wong's Lullaby, a social worker, Nora, struggles to balance her demanding job with caring for her elderly father, who is an ex-POW with dementia. Clara, welcome to the show. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now, watching this film made me think about my mom, who worked with special needs kids during the day and then returned home and cared for her disabled brother. And I'm sure there are so many people out there who can relate to having their full-time jobs, having to take care of their kids, and then having to take care of their elderly parents. So this was just very relevant. And thank you for making it. Now, what inspired you to bring Mr. Wong's Lullaby to audiences? Well, I think you've sort of hit the nail on the head, Diana. It's such a universal story because so many people are juggling um, their work life with something else. I think everyone's got something going on behind the closed door. And both myself and my co-writer, Annie, both have experience of Well, Annie was a social worker before she turned to writing and I have, as well as acting, I've worked as a live-in carer for somebody who had dementia. So when we came to writing the script, we thought, let's explore what happens when you bring the two together. And the more we explored it, the more we realized how many carers there are who aren't professional healthcare workers, but who are just caring for someone vulnerable within their own circle. And we wanted to look at the demands it places on people, but also how people find coping mechanisms and how humor and kindness are so important in those situations. You had two very authentic performances in this film by both your main actress and the gentleman that played the father. Can you talk about your casting process? Yes, absolutely. We so we did everything during lockdown, um, during some form of lockdown. So the casting process was done pretty much entirely via Zoom and via email. So both actors sent us some really compelling self-tapes of the script. And we met with them and we had a Zoom meeting with them. And actually, I mean, Sheffield, where we filmed, is a pretty small place. The actors had, in a previous uh, piece of work, worked together. So they already had good chemistry. The big thing for the older character was that we didn't want to cast somebody who was 99 years old. We wanted to work with someone who you know, wouldn't be too vulnerable during the pandemic. And we found Ray, who plays Horace. Um, we had a brilliant makeup artist who worked with him, and he did a lot of work himself on the aging process through his physicality and his vocal work. So we had some Zoom rehearsals with them. Um, We didn't actually meet in person until the first day of filming, which was unusual and um, an interesting challenge. But I was so pleased with what they individually brought to the characters. Now, I was going to ask you a bit about 
the incredible chemistry that was between the two characters just based on you doing this Zoom audition kind of process, that these two had worked together before. It was by sheer coincidence, but funnily, in the previous piece they'd done, they played a husband and wife. So this was quite a <laughs> quite a different chemistry for them when they were playing um, elderly father and hassled daughter. But they brought it to life, and I think they did a pretty good job. Well, they seemed to be very comfortable working together. So it was hard for me to believe that that was just based on Zoom auditions and you know the whole process that we went through during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. congratulations on that. Now, where was the film shot? The film was all shot in Sheffield, so in Yorkshire, in the north of England. Um, and we were blessed because we filmed in April in 2021, uh, which can often be a very, very cold, bleak, windy, rainy time. And we had a absolute anomaly of a very sunny weekend when we filmed everything, which was... <laughs> Pretty lucky given how much of it is outdoors and how much of it features an old man in his pajamas. So that was a a bit of a blessing for us. Are you from Workshire? No, I'm originally from Ireland. So I moved from Ireland to the UK 14 years ago. Annie, who is the co-writer, is from Yorkshire. And we, we were keen to set the film, well, outside of London, because so much happens in London, which is where I live at the moment. And also the story just felt like it needed to be somewhere where you would have a strong community and Sheffield definitely has that. And we found that when it came to finding cast and crew and people willing to give us locations and just the support in that region has been absolutely fantastic. And did you say that you were given locations? I was going to ask you about your budget for the film and how you raised the money, but being given locations is a huge help. It was. We were so lucky. We were given the house. And actually, the house was offered to us from a very early stage in the writing process. And that sort of helped us in the writing process because we were able to visualize exactly how the scenes would unfold, both in the kitchen and in the garden. So the house was gifted to us by friends of Annie, my co-writer. And by their neighbors, because we use two houses, which are side by side, and they actually share a garden, a back garden, which is quite unique. And we were also given the office space by a local person in Sheffield, who's very involved in the creative scene as well. And they were keen to help out in any way they could. So um, whilst, you know, we had to do a fundraiser to pay everybody and to finance the film, the fact that we were given the locations was a real, real help. So you did one fundraiser to finance the film? We did. We did an Indiegogo campaign, um, which ran from February to March. Actually, this day last year was the last day of our fundraising campaign, March the 19th, 2021. So we had um, an Indiegogo, we had lots of perks, and we ran some live streams and events where people came on and they gifted us some help towards the film. So we raised uh, £10,000 in our fundraiser. That was pretty, um, pretty good, I think. That was pretty good. Now, I have a lot of independent filmmakers out there that are looking to crowdsource to fund their films. Talk to us a little bit about your Indiegogo process and like some of the perks that you offered. Sure. So... 
A big part of the crowdfunding campaign was thinking about having ambassadors. So we had myself and a couple of core team members who ran the campaign. And then we had 10 ambassadors who were friends and family members who really believed in the project and who agreed in advance that they would spread the word to their own contacts. So a big part of thinking about the crowdfunder was looking at who do I know as an individual and how can I spread it out further and have this ripple effect of different people. So you have this almost Venn diagram of circles of friends and family, and there'll be a pool in the middle that are in common. And then there's all the people who you wouldn't have been able to contact otherwise. And then people could have given anything from like five pounds up to 500 pounds, which some people did. We offered a wide variety of perks. So we offered people a digital copy of the soundtrack and a digital copy of the film after it finished, which was quite a popular one. We had a series of workshops and because we were reaching out to a lot of people who are in the film or the creative world, it was quite interesting to offer workshops that would be of interest to them. So we had a local writer in Sheffield who offered writing workshops to people that they could purchase as a perk. Um, And then we had some physical perks as well, you know, some merchandise and things like that, which were quite popular. And then some people just as a gesture of goodwill, just put some money in. So it was quite a variety of, of amounts and quite a variety of perks that people went for. It's a lot of work, but it, you know, it's, if you can put the time in and plan it properly and plan how you're going to set up your fundraising page so people can see very clearly what you're doing, what it's all about and what they're actually supporting and they can feel like they're a part of it, you know, that everyone who put money in is a part of the team who created the film. And I think that's a really important aspect of it, that it's very much a community rather than just give me your money, bye, see you later, thanks very much. So that was really important in how we, um, in how we approached it. Now, some of the people that donated to your campaign are you then still keeping in touch with them and letting them know when the film screens or inviting them out to in-person screenings? Yes, absolutely. So we had one in-person screening that we held for cast, crew and supporters um, or after we finished the post-production process and people were invited to come along, see the film, have a glass of wine with us afterwards and have a sort of preview of the film, which was really nice. And we had a lovely, very warm reception from everybody. Um, And then we're also keeping in touch with them every time the film is selected or every time something new happens with one of our cast members or one of our crew, if they're going on to do something exciting, because we had quite a mixture of very experienced cast and crew and also some quite early career stage cast and crew as well. So it's nice to let our supporters know that oh, look, this person from the film is now working on this Netflix series or whatever. And I think people like to feel like it's, it's got another life beyond the film itself. So we send regular updates to everybody um, to keep them abreast of what we're up to. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because I want my indie filmmakers out there to know how important the engagement is afterwards because you're going to stay engaged with these people And the next time you do a fundraiser, these same people will probably come back because it was a great experience for them. 
Now, one of the perks that you talked about was the soundtrack. Can you tell us a little bit about the music for the film? Sure. Yeah. So we engaged with a composer very early on, actually from sort of once we had a basic script, we engaged with the composer who is an Italian musician called Marco Cardan. And he got really involved. He was really keen to get his teeth into it, to explore the motifs of the film. And also because we have the character of Mr. Wong and it's called Mr. Wong's Lullaby, he was keen to take that as an inspiration for the music he created for the different stages. So he went for, um, you know, he, he looked into some traditional Chinese instruments that he used, that he worked with when he was creating the music. And he very much created a series of movements. So there's moments in the film that are quite nostalgic and poignant even. Uh, we were keen to have a little bit of levity and find some comic moments where we could. And the music was absolutely crucial to that. And we also worked with my sister, who's an Irish singer-songwriter who created the soundtrack, the, the theme song to the film. So she wrote the lyrics and she added her vocals onto that. And it was, yeah, it was really special to work with both of them. And they brought a lot to it. And it's always a good reminder that, you know, a film is very much a team process and every little element is so important. And we had a fantastic uh, sound designer as well who worked with us to master everything and to give it that little bit of extra lift to bring it all to life in the end. The music is something that stayed with me after I watched the film. So it's, it's a wonderful uh, element that you have with it. And thank you for that. How many shooting days did you have on the film? We had two and a half shooting days, which is not a lot, but we were keen to keep it as minimal as possible just because we were in the middle of COVID And every day that we were on set, everybody had to do a COVID test. And if one person had tested positive, we'd have had to shut the whole thing down. So we tried to um, basically compress as much as we possibly could. So they were long days, you know, they were 14 hour days. So we were trying to work with the light that we had and, you know, make sure that we were being strategic with our locations and the setup. But everybody works super hard. We had brilliant catering, keeping everyone energized. So plenty of snacks and plenty of coffee and water went around. And we managed to wrap on time and get everybody sent home, not feeling too exhausted in the end. But it, it was tight, but it was, um, it was exciting. Clara, share a little bit more with us about your background. I understand that you normally adapt screenplays for stage. Yeah. So um, my background originally was as an actress. And when I was at university, I started working on adapting some uh, scripts for stage, which I really enjoyed. And this was a very different experience because when you're thinking about the visual medium of film, as opposed to working with stage, you're thinking in a different way. And you also have to be very realistic about what your budget will allow. So when it first, you know, when we were first writing the script, we had car scenes and we had um, like ambulances and sirens and we had quite busy, busy scenes. And suddenly you think, well, every time you do that, that's a new setup and that's probably going to cost an extra 
500 pounds or a thousand pounds. So you have to think about how you, how you can create all of that without having to see it necessarily, how you can kind of drip feed ideas. So that was interesting. And I think actually in a way, working on a small budget film is not dissimilar to working for stage because again, with the stage, you have to allow the audience's imagination to do some of the work. So you kind of plant a seed in there and hopefully the rest of it germinates because unless you've got a million pounds, you can't have an airplane flying into the scene, you know? So, um, it was, yeah, again, it was another challenge, but I really enjoyed it. And I was working with Annie and, you know, we kind of bounced off each other, mostly via zoom and email. Again, we had a few in-person meetups and the, the script went through several gestations and, uh, came out with what we had in the end, which, um, which we're both happy with. Now, Mr. Wong's Lullaby screens in the Los Angeles Women's International Film Festival. Has it premiered in any other festivals or is it going on to continue premiering in festivals? It is going on to continue premiering. So a lot of things online or a lot of things have been online this year um, just because, you know, when festivals are being planned, no one knew where we'd be at this stage. So we've had a couple of online screenings so far, and we are going to have our first in-person real-life cinema screening uh, on the 1st of April, which is going to be in the UK, and then another festival in Ireland in May, which is the Fastnet Film Festival. So I'm looking forward to having an excuse to go back to the west coast of Ireland and see the film being screened uh, amongst family and friends. Well, Clara, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you again for just sharing this wonderful, very relevant story. Mr. Wong's Lullaby screens in the Los Angeles Women's International Virtual Presentation, Saturday, March 26th at 6 p.m. For tickets and the complete festival program, please visit lawomensfest.com. That's L.A. Women's Fest, F is in Frank, E-S-T dot com. Visionary Voices is produced by Diana Means with editing from Otaku Media. Visionary Voices is a production of Alliance of Women Filmmakers and made possible in part by a grant from the Department of Cultural Affairs. Our website Visionary Voices Podcast.com. Visionary Voices.